This is the Boots on the Ground Healthcare Podcast. Warning, this show contains graphic descriptions of life and death situations by people who experience them. The opinions of the host and the guests of this show are their own. Names of patients and patient identifiers are omitted or changed in accordance with HIPAA laws. Gas cost, way too much. Yes. Definitely need to drill here. Why are we not? I don't know. Because we have a stupid president. That's because, why. yes, exactly. So what else we got on your little list there? Um, oh, you know, of course the COVID shit show there. That, uh, was COVID bad? On. Was that, was that <laughs> a shit show? <laughs> that, was a, that was a hot mess. Oh, no, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. What? Nothing changed. <laughs> Isn't anything wrong? Yeah. No, I think they should never... I, I think it was mismanaged from the get-go. Um, you know, the the president at the time, um, I liked him. I wish yeah, he would sh- shut his mouth every once in a while. Yeah, President Trump. I, I thought he didn't talk to people well. Um, well, that's the biggest pro- complaint anybody ever has with Trump is he doesn't talk well. Yeah, yeah. It's but like- other than that, I... I I liked his policies and I liked some of the things he was doing, but I think he was way imagine over his how, head. Imagine how, on that point, real quick. Yeah. Imagine how people would not complain about Trump's speech if Trump followed Bush. Mm. <laughs> imagine yeah. if Obama, the most like eloquently spoken president to like ever touch a microphone, right? Like didn't come before Trump. Yeah. So if you went Bush and then you had Trump and then you had Biden. <laughs> You wouldn't have nearly the complaints of speech quality. Right. Because, I mean, my goodness, freaking George W. was a little bit terrible, too. He had had, um, that, like, speech impediment when he would say terror. It was like, terror. Terror, yeah. And then, uh, nuclear. Nuclear. (laughs) Nuclear. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, oh, Yeah, he had that Texas Texas accent. And you're just um, like, oh. and then Trump says everything like five different times when yeah. he says a sentence. Yeah. You can't just, you know, well, it was the best. It was yeah. the best of the best. We're it was the best. <laughs> and we're the best, and we're best of the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't I, do a Trump impersonation. No, I, I can't. Can. I, you know, it was huge. I, I can't do a good, good Trump uh, in impersonation. Either. I can do a great Biden. You want to hear that? Yeah, right. Yes. Hilarious. Yeah, my favorite is, what do you think the deer are wearing Kevlar vests? Exactly. But, yeah, no, I think it was mismanaged from the get-go, not necessarily because of this Trump. is COVID. Sorry, bringing it back. Yeah, bring it back. back. Sorry, bringing it back to COVID. Um, I don't. I don't think it was, uh, you know, mismanaged because it was Trump and and he didn't know what he was doing. I think he was just over his head because he was a private individual coming into a federal system um, that maybe didn't understand the federal system. Mm-hmm. So, and the reason why I'm saying that is because. Um, it was a giant, it was the mass casualty of mass casualty incidents. You know, Mm -hmm. you had, you know, millions and millions of people getting sick and you had, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying, but they didn't know somebody misplaced the emergency management rule book, Mm -hmm. you know, after 2001 and the terrorist attacks, the federal government went on this huge um 
you know, education and revamping the emergency management system. And then Katrina hit and that even even showed even huger issues with the emergency management system and, mm. and mass casualty incidents. And um, so I think because it wasn't managed from an incident management perspective, it got way muddy, way fast. And then, you know, you had the, the, the left pitted against the, the right and people hated Trump. So they used it as a way to, you know, really get it. Well, sure. And uh, Trump's biggest thing I think was he wanted to pin the responsibility on China because every news, outlet he was on he was like it came from china <laughs> yeah china and he had that yeah. like you know it's the china, china virus yeah and it was all this business about that um from my perspective you know you got to look at trump for what he is like he's a business dude right who basically hangs out in real estate and just kind of does that is he good at it whatever he has what he is he is not a medical professional right so when he's listening to somebody talk about medical nuance he's not going to have the ability to reliably relay quality information right. like a medical professional would. Right. And so I think this is what led to Fauci landing in the spotlight a lot is because he was kind of the authority, quote unquote, right. uh, at the very beginning. And they were like, oh, okay, well, he you know does this and that and everything. Well, that guy's not even good at his job. Right. Look at his track record for the AIDS pandemic. Right. I mean, my God. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you want to talk about people that got it wrong from the very beginning. Fauci's been getting it wrong for years and people want to sit here and talk about how, you know, he can just hang out. He's like this little like gremlin that just pops up every time something (laughs) disastrous happens in health. It's like, oh, here's the wrong take on the issue. Right. Coming from Anthony Fauci. Mitigation factors. (laughs) It's just like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it was just, I, I think people had, you know, their hearts in the right places, but I think it was just mismanaged from the get go. Um, well, it was a very interesting thing too, because when it first came out, everybody was kind of like hands on deck, sort of like day after nine 11, right. where it was like, you know, okay, we have to come together to figure out how this goes. And then you just had way too much information coming from way too many different sides. And you had this side believing this, this side believing that everybody fighting over stuff. Right. And you know, in the day of the internet, you can find an answer for literally anything. Right. And it can be wrong both ways. You know, it's it's just ridiculous. And then we made it worse by slowing things down economically. Right. We made it worse by not understanding what we were dealing with. Right. And then this whole dependency on the wrong mask type. Right. Screwed everything from the very beginning. If you literally wanted to stop it at the beginning of everything, all you had to do is be like, get an N95. Yeah. Get an N95. Stop with the surgical mask bullshit. It does not work. Right. Literally any microbiologist is like, yeah, this doesn't do shit. Yeah. So. Um, and then all the designer masks that got out there. Then your your balaclavas everybody was wearing. Like, that doesn't do anything. Right. And then they were yeah. doing that. Oh, we'll just wear a face covering. And then it turned into this thing. If you don't have something on your face, you're a bad person. Right. And then once it got to that point. You knew the whole thing was just a giant clusterfuck because it was <laughs> yeah. like, okay, we're working, we're, we're worried about appearance right. versus actual science. Yeah. And from that point, you just knew, okay, this is, this is a problem. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why everybody, when people are like, oh, you got to wear your mask or, you know, back then you needed to wear your mask. And I was like, well, we had 
nationwide mass compliance and we still had cases going through the roof right you know well right and that's that's kind of like the the basic principle for the wrong mask Mm -hmm. because i'll tell you what like in respiratory kind of around respiratory illnesses a lot right and when you don't know what you're dealing with you go to the highest form of protection and in baseline healthcare, like that's an n95 right so we wore those right off the bat and none of us got sick really yeah. because we all wore that. And then the nurses were all wearing simple masks because they're like, oh, it's just going to be this. And they all got sick and right. we're like, oh, hmm, well, <laughs> wow, we just kind of did our own little study, didn't we? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I have a big contention with healthcare for that whole thing because it's like you guys just forgot how to think. Right. Like you forgot microbiology 101. Right. It's just like, are you kidding me? Yeah. The the one positive and with you being a respiratory therapist though is I I think one one positive that came out of the whole covid thing and you might, you know, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong is that the respiratory respiratory uh realm of medicine or pulmonology I think learned a lot out of that out of out of covid. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we went from immediately tubing people to then, you know, letting them, you know, yes. maybe sit on. So, yeah. So the evolution in care yeah, that's... had to happen really quick. But right. the toughest thing was the evolution in care was literally just a whole bunch of trial because you had no other option. Right. So it was like, oh, you put this guy on a ventilator and he dies in 46 hours. It's like, oh, well, that didn't work. Right. You were literally reduced to like the dumbest form of science. Yeah. It was like you had nothing to go off of and you're like, oh, well, this is what we've done before. What do we do? Right. And um, I was in school at that time through um, uh, just online stuff. And I was getting article after article because I had access to a library and I was like super efficient. I was pulling article and everything and particle size and this, that and the other thing. Yeah. And... You know, it was interesting because none of the science really kind of lined up for what we were dealing with with COVID and sort of what we were doing. And then we found out like, oh, wait, hold on. This isn't just respiratory. This actually attacks your red blood cells, turns them into mush. You know, you have a whole oxygen problem with that. And then you're like, oh, we have to treat that. There's a clotting issue. So it was more than just getting a respiratory disease. You had the whole clotting factor and people stroking out all the time. Oh, yeah. And, you know... Sure, we had to deal with the respiratory part, but there, there were levels to it, and the fact that there were levels to it is what it made what made it so deadly right at the beginning. Yeah. Thankfully, the virus started morphing like almost instantaneously. Yeah. Actually, I kind of have my own theory that the version of COVID that landed in the United States first may have not even been the first version of covid because if you look at how this has evolved over the last couple of seasons yeah technically they were experiencing cases of covid and i think um i think it was september of 2019 yeah and there were some like like baseline like small variants of covid and i think what was happening is the virus was mutating rapidly and then by the time it took on like a ability to move through populations 
it was already on a different variant. And then by the time I think, this is all just me, I don't have any data to back this up because how are you going to know from the Chinese? Right. Um, I think that from how this plays out, how, how the variants have played out now, I think every four months or so, you're getting a new variant. So right. by that time, we're getting hit in March. We could have been on, you know, variant number two or three. Right. Because that's a that's a fair. I hey, I I buy that argument. That's a fair assessment. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's kind of just my own like looking at how the data has changed and how like Omicron became the number one variant in December, right, uh, of twenty twenty one. Yes. Um. But even now, Omicron has several sub-variants. Right. And as we go down this line of thought, it's kind of like when you reverse engineer it, you're like, oh, okay. We go back to one, back to another, back another. And it's like, oh, this is shedding its deadliness, but becoming more and more um, capable to be spread. Right. And you kind of have to think, like, if this did come from a lab and if it was actually coming from a uh, secure area and they were actually experimenting on it, you know, it, it speaks to how unstable it really was yeah, and how it was being engineered to be unstable. Yeah. So that like, that is just an idea, but you can kind of get an idea of where I'm coming from. When you see the, the Twitter accounts that were deleted from the Chinese where they were welding people in their rooms and they were building hospitals in like three days to just house the amount of bodies that they had. Yeah, it, you know, I haven't seen other than maybe back in, you know, January of 2020. Um, I haven't seen that video. It was a little like 20 or 30 second clip of them welding people mm-hmm. into their um, apartment complexes. Now their apartment complexes are, you know, they're, 20 stories high and right. you know a thousand people live in that in that building and they were welding all the doors while shut. wearing hazmat suits yeah and well, like well all of that. and you know what finally i haven't seen that photo or that video they were deleted instantly yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. Sh- it was shared and then the only way that you could even have it was if you screen recorded it on your phone right yeah. and then if you tried to send that screen recording through like uh twitter it didn't work through uh Instagram, it didn't work. Oh, wow. And I know because I have a I have a notorious Instagram post where I actually posted uh, a doctor's account of what was going on January 26th. Yeah. And he talks about all this stuff going on. And you're just like, holy shit. Yeah. And the amount of cover-up that then happened from world organizations yeah. was just incredible. Like, the fact that one nation feels the need to weld people into a building to slow the spread of a disease and the other nation just across the pond is right. like you just need a little simple mask <laughs> yeah just cover it up yeah, with a yeah, napkin a little, yeah you, you like there's no bandana. mental consistency yes you, yeah. you have to understand there's no mental consistency and if you've ever worked in a scientific environment you're like what the shit <laughs> yeah what exactly. are you telling me yeah so you know everybody was instantly frustrated by all this and then the attack on everybody's rights, the attack on, uh, oh, you got to get vaccinated, the attack on, like, all these random freedoms right. ballooned into this whole other amount. Uh, uh, that was just a whole mess. Yeah. But um, for my own sake, it was kind of like, I sort of predicted, uh, like, locally some things that would happen. 
uh, because I figured like once the supply lines started going down, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. From my understanding of economics, like you, you start to see like, oh, supply lines go down. You're not going to have food. Right. If you can't have food, you're going to have riots. Yeah. And we were already seeing that with the toilet paper crisis where people are fighting over fucking toilet paper. Which I, I want to do a psychological study to kind of figure out why that was the first thing to go. Like, you couldn't buy toilet paper for, for months. The shelves were empty. But I can go over to the canned food section and buy, you know, baked beans and canned mushroom soup. You know, it was really weird. It, it was it was a little weird. There was a there was a period where I went to the store and I would just watch people. Yeah. And I remember it was <laughs> I went to the store. Everybody's running around buying all random stuff. I went and I bought I think it was cheese curls and shotgun shells. <laughs> and I was like, all yeah. right, bye. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I was I said to my friend, I was like, listen, like. If this supply chain thing moves into other items, yeah, the next thing people are going to do is riot. Right. And then after that, you get home invasions. Right. And damn it to hell, right after that, we got riots. Oh, yeah. In mass, not totally because of COVID, but a lot because of racial issues. Right. And also part of COVID. But, yeah, I mean, probably you had a lot of people so. just boiling over and not being at work because of jobs or whatever. All these yeah. people working at restaurants have been closed. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, and everything just kind of boils over and everybody goes nuts. Um, but I was like, oh my gosh, here it comes. Yeah. Well, that's it, it's funny you mention that because the one of the first things that I did when when they announced the, the initial shutdowns is I went through and staged a gun in every room of my house. Yeah, you know, my my girlfriend walks into the walk-in closet and, and stops and turns around and she looks at me and she's like, why is there a rifle in the closet? I say, well, because I don't want anybody breaking in to our house. You, right. you know, this is for our our, our safety. And, and then, um, you know, I'm like, oh, by the way, there's also one in the nightstand. There's one in this room. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, so that and... Um, we didn't i noticed our our family you know you know uh my girlfriend and i we didn't really panic by too much other than maybe stocked up on a lot of water mm -hmm. um but uh, it's just the two of us so we didn't have a family to worry about and we can go you know plus i'm a hunter so i had a freezer full of meat and right. you know we weren't hunting we weren't you know worried about food issues um you know, we just wanted to make sure that we didn't get sick. So. Well, a lot of people were worried about that because firearm purchasing went through the roof. Right. Like, people were standing outside of uh, firearm, like, like dealers just trying to get a gun for yeah. self-protection. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I was disappointed that we didn't have zombies, though. I was really hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really hoping for zombies. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay, so sales of first time, let's see, sales of gun owners uh, rise among uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Americans are buying more guns than ever than before. People are worried about the pandemic. Uh, yeah, so this is like an interview. Yeah. I don't feel like dealing with that, but basically, yeah, like we, we all saw it. If you tried to buy a gun, it was ridiculous. If you went to your gun shop, there was nothing. Oh, yeah, there was nothing. 
Um, and the markups were crazy. Right. Yeah. And and the stuff that they did have left was was trash guns. Just anyway. trash. Yeah, like the, so. yeah. Just yeah. Any just respectable trash. gun owner or enthusiast wouldn't you know wouldn't yeah, exactly. purchase that on a good day. So right. And you yeah. know I mean. Any respectable gun owner also doesn't need to buy guns at the time of a pandemic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a so big I was well stocked and well locked and loaded, ready to go. Yeah. Um, but um, when I was at, I actually went to one of the local gun shops during like the middle of COVID, like right when it first started in the first like couple of weeks. Yeah. And I saw this guy, I was just looking at whatever was in the cabinet. And I saw this guy buy two FN scars for forty five hundred dollars a piece. Jeez, he's just like he's him. looking at it and he goes, <laughs> "My son says this is a really good gun." And I was like looking at him. I was like, "I mean, yeah, it's a you know AR ten, yeah, you know it's a." And he's like, he goes, "Well, how many how many of these do you have?" He's like, two. He's like, "I'll take them both." I'm like. Wow. Damn, bro. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> you just put a down payment on a house on <laughs> yeah, two exactly. guns. Yeah, two guns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the ammo shortage hit. And honestly, I've, I haven't shot in probably uh, a good 18 months or so uh, because I've been conserving my ammo. And, and not out of fear of, of anything other than running out of ammo and not being able to replace it. Well, um, right, and that's yeah. that's a that's a big problem too. Is if you're a gun owner, like this kind of happens regularly, where like that something happens, ammo gets bought out. Right. Something happens again, ammo gets bought out. Yeah, I kind of have like a rolling store of ammo. Yeah, and then like I'll buy ammo, shoot that, and then replenish more. I kind of have this loose rule of thumb where every time I go to a gun shop, I get ammo, and then I get a mag. Right, because it's like, you know just baseline it's like okay i'm replenishing what i have yeah so i don't have to really ever worry next thing you know you're like oh, i got eight thousand rounds of nine millimeter here <laughs> yeah i uh i i have a couple of thousand uh right now i just i just bought some um happened to stumble across uh a, a website and was able to purchase uh you know half a case through them at a, at a reasonable price of of nine millimeter so um but that was the first time I had bought ammo in bulk, um, mm. you know, since since the pandemic started. Um, and before the pandemic, though, was I was buying a couple of cases a year um, because a it was super cheap and it was avail- it was mm-hmm. available. You know, right now a case of of five five six is um, all. It's like all fifty but, cents a bullet. Yeah, it's all, almost seven hundred dollars for a case. And then uh, it's almost like ammo is a commodity. So mm-hmm. you know, the more <clears throat> there more the more there is around, the cheaper it gets. The less that's manufactured. Well, right. It's like any supply and demand. Yeah. But with ammo, the the toughest thing with ammo is that it it sort of has this reactionary thing where when there isn't any, people overbuy. Right. And that's yeah. just for some reason people just boost that cost like through the roof. Right. Yeah. It's like oh my god. Yeah um and you know that's that's the problem is like people don't actually think about firearms until it's usually too late right and i always encourage people to get into shooting learn how to handle a firearm and oh, oh yeah you know, do all that business yeah i um, uh, i'm a huge proponent of that and if anybody ever has any you know if i'm talking to somebody and, and they're like oh you know why do you own so many guns or you know why 
you know, I hate guns and guns are evil. And I'm like, yeah, but have you ever, ever shot one? And they're like, no. And I said, well, then those people know. are never the, the guys that <laughs> yeah. have been like, yeah, I shot like 7,000 rounds last Tuesday. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. That's never that guy. Yeah. It's always the, it's always the, the little weakling who has never even shot so much as a clay pigeon. Well, yeah. Or yeah. Um, you know, your, your, or your betas out there that, you know, that, just don't like guns because they were told don't like guns. But, but if, if people are taught, you know, to respect them and how to shoot them and how to handle them, um, you know, and just from a pure sporting fact, like, absolutely. Like right now I'm probably carrying my fair share of the COVID 20. Um, but before, you know, before that I was out shooting, you know, a couple of times a week, I was, I was energetic. I was, you know, I was running drills. I was doing, you know, um, what's called the uh, um, USPSA courses and, and competitions mm-hmm. and shooting for competition. Oh, nice. And and so, you know, it is a sport, you, you yeah. know, it had to be athletic. And, and I was in the best shape I was in, you know, doing that. And then, uh, you know, COVID hit, so everything went away and – and now I'm sitting here with the COVID-20 and yeah, right. <laughs> trying to get rid of it at yeah. 48 years old, you know? It, it's so funny how you have a country that literally wins wars because of military like might. Right. And then you have a president that comes on and tries to tell us that guns are bad and we have to get rid of X, Y, and Z thing. Yeah. It's the most, like, obviously propagandic bullshit. Oh, it is. It's and totally. You just have to the people base. arguing from a point of ignorance right. all the time. Um, I was just, I, I just heard somebody argue that uh, something like it was like, um, why are you not for background checks? And she was just asking this of gun owners, and. She goes on to say in the conversation that she's aware that there are background checks from working at Dick's Sporting Goods. And I said, how do you say those two things at once? Right. right. Like, if you already have background checks and you're already aware of how they work, one, you know that fun or federal legislation has put them in place. Right. Because they realize a benefit for background checks. Right. And you're literally stating that there are background checks to check backgrounds. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Like, we already have the thing you're arguing for. Right. So, what are you saying? Yeah. You I, want more redundancy? Like, what, you want me to check the, the background that doesn't exist? And here's the thing that people... The, the inherent logical fallacy on the background check thing is... You have all the background checks you want on a clean record. Right. It, it doesn't matter. Right. Like... I get background checks all the time. You know, yeah. you, working in healthcare, you have to. You get background checks like every six months or something. Yeah, every yeah. And you know, like, dude, it's it's ridiculous. So, um, the other nonsense argument that I always hear is when people talk about ballistics on certain <laughs> calibers, like this Joe Biden bullshit oh, about nine gosh. millimeters blowing your freaking like <laughs> lung out. out. Your chest. Yeah. yeah so let me tell you about true. that. I've seen people get shot in multiple times. I've seen people get shot, let's see, what's the most? 27 times yeah. and live. And <laughs> yeah. live. Yeah. With a yeah. nine millimeter. I've seen I've also seen people get shot with a BB gun in the eye and die. Yes. So there's all kinds of nonsense. Yeah. But 
what people don't understand is the massive amount of ignorance around everything guns. And that can all be alleviated by education on firearms. Yeah. It's been my dream for the longest time to have guns and gun, uh, like, safety taught in schools so that people grow up with this. Right. Right next to driver's ed, you teach people how to operate an automobile, you teach people how to drive stick, which no one can do anymore. Um, And you teach people how to work a rifle so they can hunt. Right. It'll give them a leg up on... Uh, hunting they'll learn about uh conservation right they'll learn about the balance of an ecosystem right and you teach people about how um they're personally responsible for their own actions right and that is a point that this country hates because they hate personal responsibility right they also hate intelligence but yeah that's beside the point so um for me it's it's just so disheartening when i see just normal adults walking around who don't know basic things about such big issues where you actually have an actual right Right. to have, you know, a firearm. Correct. And people just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they don't. And, and it, it shows in the, in the, you know, you have the gun community, which 98% of them are law abiding citizens or law abiding citizens that have legally purchased all, all their, their guns. And, I, you know, I've never purchased a, a gun where I didn't go through a background check. Um, I've never purchased a handgun or, or a rifle or anything at a quote unquote gun show where they didn't do a background check, um, which I, from what I understand is, is the Charleston loophole, which I read up real quick on that. It was some, um, you know, uh, propagandist uh article that i happen to find on online about it but um you know uh you can't purchase a, so a gun the, the way the check. the way the um the uh the gun show like thing kind of works yeah. is i think how it how it actually functions is you essentially are putting down a deposit on a gun. So if the gun's 600 bucks, right. you pay $600 there. Right. But you don't get a gun. Right. You have to go to the manufacturer, and then you basically have a voucher that says, I've already paid for this, so now I have to do my you know, paperwork. Right. And then Your you do it there. Yeah. So you bought a gun. You don't get the gun at the gun show, and then you go. I've seen that done. I don't know of any other thing. There may be other things. That's the only know. way That's the only way that I've understood that... that it's it's done is that you don't physically walk out of there with the gun um just like purchasing you know uh an ar-15 on online through a popular website um you know and you purchase it there you have it shipped to a dealer where then the dealer does all the background check Mm -hmm. stuff so yes technically you've purchased a weapon but you don't actually take physical possession of it until you pass your background check right so yeah i that's the way i understood it it always it always went um so you know people that say oh we need to expand your background checks well you can't expand it any further you know everybody gets one already um what i do think that we need to do is put more pressure on the mental health system in the United States. And, um, you know, I've seen it from my aspect of being a paramedic and working both in the emergency department and on the streets. 
um, is that we need to do better when it comes to healthcare, or I'm sorry, um, mental health in in America. You know, the majority of a lot of these shootings are, you know, poor parenting, um, you know, absent parents, uh, irresponsible parents, uh, you know, mental health that has gone unchecked or untreated. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff can be uh, fixed if we put more emphasis on on that um, than some of these crazy nonsense gun laws that they want so to enact. There's two sides to everything. One, everybody wants to react to whatever recently happened. Everybody yeah. always has that instantaneous knee jerk reaction, react emotional, and be crazy. Right. I hate that. Right. Um, when it comes to actually understanding how the industry works and understanding how mental health works and everything, you can start to truck through some of the muddy waters. And I kind of, I, I agree with you that mental health is, is dramatically unchecked. I also think that we have this world where we want mental health to be unchecked. I think we also have, like, I think we have this world where, people are profiting off of not fixing mental health issues because totally of the pill agree. industry and because of, well, the general pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And I think that if you look at healthcare and how healthcare actually is, we're not in the business of curing people. Right. We're in the business of constantly treating your condition. Right. So when it comes to mental health and you have a 23 year old who gets angry sometimes because of whatever thing, there's any kind of thing that you're going to throw at these these um, therapies, right. treatments, anger management, class thing, whatever thing. I don't see it ever really coming to a root cause analysis where it actually gets to the heart of the issue. Like, what is going on? It's like, oh, well, I was abused when I was younger. Like, are we f combating that? Right. Who knows? I don't know. Um I have a friend whose wife is a psychologist who I'm hoping to have on here soon at some point uh, and dive into this further because we actually, we agreed on some things. We disagreed on some other things and his biggest thing was he wants to move the, um, well, I don't want to steal the thunder on his argument. I'll let him come right. on and say his own argument. Um, but basically we kind of disagreed on some things because if we're going to say that you have a right to be, you know, to have arms, right. then you have a right to have arms. I don't like the idea of a medical opinion taking that away. Um, but it's a slippery slope. Yeah, it's a slippery think, slope, and and I'd I'd have to I'd have to kind of um, agree to to disagree a little bit on that where. Like, I have treated and been um, with some really Looney Tunes, whack-a-mole, you know, folks that, you know, we've taken into in, into the hospital because they're having some sort of behavioral health crisis sure. moment. And, you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, you have the 201s and the 302s, and you bring them in on a 302, which is an actual warrant because you're committing them against their their right, will, and right. it has to be seen by, by um, a... Uh, a, a judge and, and adjudicated and, and things like that. And then 
Now, let me clarify real sure. quick before we go down that rabbit hole. Yes. Yeah. There's a precipice that I want to state here. Sure. Um, when I say, you know, removing the right stone of a weapon, I don't mean just because you had some anxiety. Oh, yes. Okay. I don't mean because you have, you know, whatever minor thing that we like to, you know, ADHD or some right. sort of thing. I'm not yeah. talking about that. I'm talking about, like, I don't, like, if you're a severe threat to your own bodily self. Yeah. Clearly. You should not near and you know there, there's a lot that goes into that. That's not what I'm saying. Right. I'm talking about this whole like everybody's anxious sort of thing. Yeah. Where like just because you have anxiety and you have this you know history of coming to the hospital or the the you know going to the doctor's office to get your Xanax or something. Yeah. Shouldn't shouldn't show up as a red flag for your gun ownership. Oh yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say yeah. in that area. Now, yeah. when you go down the rabbit hole of mental health, right. <laughs> yeah yeah it's fall uh off a cliff real quick yeah you can yeah you fall off a cliff real quick with that and in a, a lot of a lot of them so you know what people you know that might not understand when purchasing a firearm is when you fill out the 4473 and and get your background check done um that there are you know excluding factors that that exclude you from being able to to purchase a you know a a gun and one of those is having a 302 sitting on you and mm-hmm. a, and a 302 kind of follows you through life when it comes to and let's let's define what a 302 is okay um do you know what it is right off the top of your head i i, I don't know the exact technical term but i know it is the um act in the state of pennsylvania that they use to um involuntarily commit you for um Okay, it's right here. Mental health uh, evaluation. Yeah. A 302 commitment in Pennsylvania is an involuntary commitment into a mental health institute for emergency psychiatric evaluation. Yes. Bang. Uh, a, a person who signs or calls for a 302 must have direct or firsthand knowledge of the person and the danger they possess to themselves or others. Okay. Yeah. So that's what that is. So we're yeah. talking clearly about a different thing, not just, you know. Right, yeah. Yeah, so so that that follows you that involuntary commitment, you know, kind of follows you um you know on these background on these background checks. So, but what I see sometimes is um now, you know, let me preface this by I am just a paramedic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not a, a mental health professional, but you know, I've seen these folks come in and kind of get you know forgot about or pushed off to the wayside or um you know limiting that from an involuntary to a voluntary commitment and then they're out in 24 you know 48 hours Mm -hmm. with no treatment back on back on the streets you know so am i right no you know am does it need to be looked at and fixed? I think so. Mm-hmm. You know, just from a from a that kind of aspect. But yeah, you know, so if you're the, I think, not to cut you off. Sure. No, I, I think I think the the more accurate way to figure out where the problem lies is how many times people have been three hundred two'd are actually around firearms. So if we're yeah. running into cases where people who have these significant mental issues right 
are running into a abundance of firearms, then clearly we would have a problem. Now, right. I don't think that's the case by no. a wide dramatic amount of, of things, but I think it does happen from time to time. Um, the toughest thing with all these cases for like a shooting is you never know all the details and right. they're always highly politicized by one side or the other. Yeah. And I think you have a lot of the pro-gun side that wants to hide, you know, the the fact that whatever gun was used. And I think you have the anti-gun side that wants to show whatever kind of gun was used and demonize, you know, whatever kind of thing. Right. And what gets lost in that is how did this even happen? How did we come across the, the firearm? Where did it come from? Did the person actually buy it? Um did the um, did the individual show signs of mental health issues? You know what's going on, right? And I don't know of any case where these usually young men are totally without sign or symptom of their own mental health. Yeah, and this isn't like oh well, you know, Steve's a little crazy. This is like severe depression, acting violently against others, usually something with like uh, like killing small like pets or something, like really psychological like issues. Right. Well, and that's where, you know, at the beginning of, of you know, of this topic thread, I said, you know, about the parents too, you know, because you, you know, um, like what is it? What is this person's home life like? You know, um, right? Yeah, it, are they are they young? Are they older? You know, in the case of of like the Las Vegas shooting, that gentleman was of course you know a lot older adult, so he doesn't have you know he's not living with mom and dad, but you have some of these younger shooters that that are living at home, and and you hear stories. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but you hear stories of, you know, through the media that, you know, they were a single parent household mm -hmm. or, you know, they were, you know, uh, you know, dad leaves his guns laying around all willy nilly. He's with a drunk. No, right. Yeah, he's a drunk and, and, you know, no, you know, no responsibility. So, you know, there's so many factors that go into this and it's hard to put one finger on it, but I think by attacking the gun industry is not the, well, sure. It's you, misplaced you, aggression. I you, think is what it we, is. Right. So whenever there's a, a situation like this, you have knee jerk reactions on both sides. Right. And what that does is it, you know, literally pits both sides against each other and no one's going to give an inch. Yeah. And then you have like the six people in the middle that are ping bonging off each other. They're going right. nuts. And they're just like, I don't want to talk about guns anymore. Rah! Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, what, what sucks is you don't have enough open-minded people to actually discuss what's going on yeah. in the scenarios. And, you know, you heard the saying, never waste a good crisis. Oh yeah. It's overused and it's, totally taken advantage upon left right and center right and the sad thing is you lose all the nuance of the scenario right yeah you know and for me understanding guns being an enthusiast shooting hunting all of this stuff there's a lot of information that goes into it there's a lot of understanding and there's a lot of skill and just talking about 
you know, like we said with the caliber thing and the the nine millimeter gun, like yeah. the president of the United States is literally active enga- actively engaging in misinformation when it comes to guns. Correct. Like we know this. Yes. As medical professionals, from people being shot in the chest with a nine millimeter, we know that does not happen yes. factually. First hand experience. That's correct. Like, that is not what happens. And so, you know, it you just lose all trust in all of your organizations because you're like, what are we dealing with? Yeah. Like they're literally just lying to you. Right. But if we if we come out and say, well, that's not that's factually inaccurate, that's not true, they they actually just lied at you, then you're looked at as some crazy crazy they, gun kook and they can't like, <laughs> handle the fact that you disagree because right. they're not prepared to argue a point. They've been told right. what to say, but they've not been prepared by the education system to articulate an actual argument yeah. for their side. Yeah. They don't have the power of persuasion from an argument standpoint. That's why I have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. So I can talk about this so we stuff. Can hear this stuff yeah. Um so when I see something like that happen, it first off, it, it always sucks. You never want to see anything like that happen. But when you work in healthcare and you work in the trauma bay and you work right. in a large city or something like that. You're going to see these cases happen all the time. Gang violence is massive. Drug violence is a thing. This happens all the time. People want to talk about shootings. I'm like, I have four shootings like in a week. Yeah. Like, come on. As soon as it's nice out, you're going to have shootings. You're going to have it, yeah. You know, I mean, you want to co- you want to, you want to stop shootings? Make the temperature outside 20 degrees. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be <laughs> nothing really gonna, Yeah, nobody's going to be outside. So, you know, it's, it's ridiculous when... All this stuff, unfortunately, happens. And then people always target, obviously, the weakest populations because they're trying to inflict mass damage for usually attention of some right. kind. They're not, you know, attack. they're not attacking Fort Bragg. Right, yeah. They're, they're not, not like, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's not, <laughs> they, they, they always go after weaklings. And, you know, because yeah, it just sucks. So, yeah. Um, so, Oh, I hate to switch gears on you like like this, but you said something interesting earlier that I wanted to talk about and touch on is that, you know, you you're a hunting enthusiast and so so am I. And one of the things that, you know, people think we're just some, you know, crazy backwood kooks is that, no, we're the biggest, probably the biggest set of conservationists there oh, are absolutely <laughs> you know yeah. so i get into i get into arguments with with folks that are against hunting they're like oh how can you go out and kill innocent pe- innocent animals and and you know bambi is so cute and that turkey and rabbit and squirrel and all that kind of stuff and i said no i said you know we're making the the population manageable but we also want them around we're just not right you know killing them all and you know you don't like people that have that idea of a hunter don't understand what it's like to to try and get the best of the breed in the in the right in the um the wildlife yeah um and since since we have the the pitman robertson act where essentially 11 percent 10 to 11 percent of all firearms hunting equipment ammo purchases go right to maintaining and forwarding conservation causes yeah uh we're literally doing more for conservation and the environment than any prius buying bitch right that exists yeah and this is the thing that needs to be spoken about i know uh outlets like joe rogan talks about this all the time this is actually where my um desire to get into hunting came from because he would have dudes like uh cam haynes 
and uh, Meat Eater and all these people who hunt and share their stories and they just talk about all of the stuff that goes into it. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And I was like, I don't know anything about this. I need to get into this because I know nothing about this scenario yeah, or situation. And little by little, I just started reaching out to people, doing little by little, and just self-educating. Yeah. Well, my my, uh, my hunting background goes back to my, my uncle and my cousins, um, you know, and but my parents were always kind of anti-hunting. Um, you know, they weren't the, the, the crazy anti-hunting people. They just didn't want to didn't believe it didn't let mm-hmm. me or my brother grow up hunting uh and coming from western pennsylvania which is a huge hunting population right um you know <clears throat> i didn't really get a chance to do it and uh, growing up until um you know i became an adult and my um ended up going out hunting with uh my girlfriend's father at the time and at the time i caught the bug and and went absolutely nuts with it. Oh yeah, and um, it catches you like mad quick. Yeah, it it does. And then the whole atmosphere—it's not just about going out and and traipsing around the in the woods for you know two weeks. It's it's going to camp and and having the fires at night when it's nineteen degrees and snowing, and you know sitting around talking with your buddies and sharing stories. And you know now <clears throat> I don't have any kids, unfortunately, to kind of. To kind of you know push this um, uh, custom onto, mm-hmm. uh, but you know I'm around guys that have kids and and how you know you see a difference in in them you know sharing their experiences with their kids and then teaching their kids how to how to hunt um, you know good outdoorsmanship and and what to do when you're lost and what to do if you twist your ankle in the woods and you have three miles to hike back to camp or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, so there's so many aspects to it. And then, yes, you know, we're the biggest conservation folks around. If, if you look at us per, you know, per capita of, um, like funding. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, every year I try to give, you know, a couple of bucks to National Wild Turkey Federation or the uh, Rocky Mountain Elk, you know, mm-hmm. foundation to to kind of, um, you know, do my part in, in helping. Have and, you heard uh, of uh, Skull Brew Coffee? No, uh-uh, I've never heard of that. Uh, my friend Aaron introduced me to them, and shout out to this company. Um, they're... Hashtag sponsorship. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not sponsored by anybody. Um, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I know? just heard, I, I heard about them through a friend. Yeah, and I looked into them, and they actually let you pick which branch of conservation you want your money oh, to go that's to. Cool, that's awesome. So there's there's one for like elk. There's one for like general conservation. There's one for something yeah. else. I think there's three, and um, they let you pick where it's like 10 percent of your purchase total goes oh, awesome. to. That individual thing. Yeah. The coffee's good. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a big black rifle uh coffee guy too. I got like all their stickers all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I got it. So I used to get the uh the subscription box, but uh it got old after a while. I constantly change it. Yeah. See, I'm very sensitive to caffeine and um I 
I have a very a threshold that I can hit, and without actually going to one of their shops, um, one of the Black Rifle Coffee shops, someplace, and actually trying the different brands, I'm a little hesitant. You know, uh, Silencer Smooth or or yeah. one of the one of the ones that they have that's uh, you know it it'll so, send you to the moon with caffeine. Or so something you're like actually that. kind of in luck with Black Rifle then, because yeah. you can actually they specialize in dark roast. And dark roast has lower caffeine comparatively. Huh. Okay. So if you stay along the darker side, yeah, you'll have a lower caffeine uh, content typically, unless it's like infused with something. Ooh, maybe I'll get back um, into it. I usually go for the lighter stuff because I work yeah. night shift and I gotta stay awake. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I know that their 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 product is you know second to none. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not that I didn't like it. I was just it got. I hate to say it, but it got boring after a while. Yeah, it can. I mean, yeah. anything you just yeah, I like constantly. switching up my coffee, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know they also have a ton of different roasts, too. Yeah. Um, anyhow, that's enough about coffee. My God. <laughs> Random coffee rant. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so when it, when it comes to conservation and everything and hunting, it is pretty wild how... Uh, hunters literally are maintaining their own sport. Right. Like independently of anything else. Yeah. And you have national parks, but you can't usually hunt them a lot of times. No, you... Or they're they're very strict on how things work. Yeah. With very like high high dollar uh cost for like tags and things like that. Yeah. Um so now it, some it of, now the national parks, but the national forests. So the area that I hunt is the Allegheny National Forest up in in Warren County, okay. uh, northeast uh, Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, northwest Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So that's the the national forest, and and I don't pay anything different um, than my usual state hunting licenses mm. uh, to hunt the national forest. And a lot of them, the the problem with the national forests though, access. So. You know, unless you want to walk 10, 15 miles mm-hmm. into the woods to turn around and drag your your deer, your bear, or your carry your turkey out and mm-hmm. 15 miles back, you know, that's that's kind of your your repentance. So, so right, right. That's what you're paying for. Yeah, that's what you're paying yeah. for. But I tell you what, hunting the national forests versus the state game lands, mm-hmm. um, which Pennsylvania doesn't have terrible state game lands, but I think they can do a little bit better managing them um, and stop logging them, for God's sakes. Um, anyway, so um, uh, I rather I prefer the national forest over huh, the state. Interesting. Game lands. Yeah, I've only ever hunted the uh, the game lands around here. I know because the forests are far. Physically. Yeah, yeah, the forest. Um, yeah, you got to travel. It's and that's part of that whole you know. I'd, every year I hook up my trailer and drive out I-80 and, you know, just behind all the other guys with the campers and trailers yeah, right. going, going to, to the mountains for, you know, a week and a half, two mm-hmm. weeks. And, and, uh, you know, that's part of the pilgrimage, but yeah, if you have to stay, you know, close to home and, and that's the one thing about the state game lands is, is they have good access. Mm-hmm. Um, so too much access, too much access. I was on a Turkey hunt. Uh, at one of the places that I had, um, I had turkeys on camera on my trail cams. Yeah. And, you know, so I went out there at five in the morning with my, you know, it's pitch black. I got my headlamp on. I'm yeah. running up into my spot and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there for a couple hours 
The next thing I know, this dude on a freaking electric bicycle goes whizzing between me and my decoy. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, dude. <laughs> Where'd you come from? Yeah, I was. I had a similar incident, um, but this time they came through on horses. You know, oh, so yeah, 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 you know, and, and I don't want to knock anybody. Hey, you're that's great. You're in the outdoors. You're out there. You're using using them as. Uh, but, you know, don't do it on seven o'clock on opening day at turkey season. Yeah, right. Like, don't, <laughs> you yeah, know, don't be riding freaking electric bikes, you know, 20 miles an hour down a freaking path. Yeah. Like literally the first day of the season. Yeah. You know, the first year yeah. I ever shot was um in the state game lands here by us in Brickerville. Really? Yeah, right there along 322. Oh, nice. That's the first first year I ever killed was out of there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Huh. So I went a lot of years with being a no hitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Being being a new, relatively new hunt, hunter at the you know, um, but now you know I tag out every year. So mm. you know, the more experience you get, and and you know, getting out, you know having the access to large areas like national forests and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, really improves your success rates. But, uh, um, uh, but I went a long time as a no hitter. Yeah. So. so I didn't have any luck this Turkey season, but it was kind of like throw all my, all my stuff together to get ready for Turkey season. Yeah. Hardly did any scouting. I only scouted two game lands. Yeah. I didn't get and... out for Turkey this year. So, but I'm ramping up for deer already. Oh yeah. I got, I'm, yeah, like, it's, I got, I'm budgeting stuff left and right. I, yeah. there, there's my Kuyu pack right there. Oh, yeah. Um, I just bought the harness. I got to order the bag. Yeah, my um, girlfriend always knows when it's when uh, hunting season's coming around because our basement explodes with yeah. all my stuff everywhere getting ready for, you know. I'm actually looking to renovate a room about this size down in my basement. Oh, that'd be nice. For all my hunting stuff because yeah. it's just piling up everywhere. Yeah, and that's that's my problem is is I just have piles on piles of hunting gear. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, it, it so. gets crazy. I didn't realize how much of a how much of a um like financial suck it was going to turn into like a figure you know like guns which i've been buying for right. years fine but then there's archery oh yeah and then there's stands yeah and then there's new things slings yeah and then there's you know clothing and then it's like oh well it's cold and you have this clothing and you have that clothing and blah blah, yeah. blah blah it's like oh my god yeah it it does i i probably don't spend as much money now than i used to on hunting gear but i think that's because I've eventually gotten to the point where I'm buying the hun- the good hunting gear that I don't have to replace every couple of years. Yeah. You know, so once you get to that standpoint, um, I don't think it's too bad. Um, you know, standard stuff that you burn through, you know, scent eliminator and, and gutting gloves and drag ropes, you know, things that you kind of burn through every year or so. Um, yeah, you know, um, I you know, that's some cost, but... You know, I finally learned how to dress and have finally have the right mix of clothing and materials for cold weather gear and yeah. and things like that. So I've gotten to the point where, and that stuff is the expensive stuff. You, you right, know, you're going right. out and buying the cold the, gear is the big one. Yeah, it's like, yeah. The the redhead gear from Bass Pro or the, um, you know, the stuff from Cabela's or what's what's the other uh, big. Well, there's big name now. Oh my gosh, there's so many names. There's yeah. Sitka, there's Kuyu, there's oh yeah, Glacier uh, Peak or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then whatever brands in between. Under Armour has a whole bunch. Yeah. yeah uh, exactly. There's you know whatever. I like Sitka because they have tall sizes. Okay. 
I'm tall. Like if you have a tall size, I'm yeah. like the poster boy. All right. It's like get me that give me that thirty six inch or thirty six tall. You know? Hashtag sponsorship. Sick yeah, right? if you're if you're listening. <laughs> um yeah, it's so funny. I, I was talking to my friend, I was like, Yeah, hunting gear kinda sucks because, you know, a lot of places their sizing is just small, medium, large, right. extra large. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is gonna be a problem. Yeah, it it is. I'm I'm uh I'm blessed with being a, you know, regular size, regular, guy. <laughs> regular yeah. size guy. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to say it that way, but yeah, you know. regular size guy. I, yeah. yeah. My, but the redhead gear, I tell you what, that redhead gear from, from Bass Pro Shops, mm-hmm. I'd buy that in a second over any high priced, yep. you know, uh, I have commercial some of stuff. That. Um, I have a hoodie, I have a jacket, and I have rain gear. Yeah. Yeah. I have their rain gear, and then I have a set of their like uh, cold weather. You know, one of their parkas and stuff mm, for when it's really okay. cold up in the mountains, and uh, a nice pair of line felt line pants from them. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, I'm probably going on season five or six of that. Really? And it's still trucking along like I nice. bought, it, bought it yesterday. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah that's good. Hashtag Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we've been at it so, for like over two hours here. But yeah. We keep going. Great. If you, do you need a break at all? Uh, no, I'm doing, I'm doing good. I'd, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Two hours in, we can yeah. keep going. Well, there, um, what are stuff we have to talk about here? Uh, anything else that you wanted to hit? Oh, I don't have anything. I think we hit everything on my, on my, on my list. You know, we talked about EMSs, uh, or pre-hospital medicines, uh, you know, identity crisis. We talked about funding. Um, you know, we talked about the COVID nightmare that there was, so some experiences um that's yeah that's all got i got through all your um your itinerary there yeah <laughs> i got through well this was just some notes you know yeah. from listening to your other podcasts that uh you know i was like oh i don't want to you know forget to mention this or forget that well, yeah or, it's smart i mean yeah i a lot of times i just have the the ball of knowledge from other stuff in my head <laughs> right because i've listened to all these episodes like four times for editing <laughs> yeah it's like, ugh. But, um, um, yeah, it's cool. So, um, I think that, you know, healthcare as a whole is, it's, it, I don't want to say it's at a breaking point, but it's one of those points where it's like, we're going to see more and more intervention. Yeah. And depending on how that intervention goes and how it turns out kind of is going to dictate like what kind of, um, like healthcare we have in the future. I think so. The The biggest thing for me that I see in healthcare is a lack of personal responsibility. Uh, people don't want to maintain like their own diet. People don't want to be responsible for maintaining their own yeah. health, fitness, and all of that business. And there's a dependency on medication. Yes. When you could just either avoid chronic problems by maintaining health throughout your life. Yeah. Educating yourself and actually giving a damn about your own health. Right. Um, I think that's one of the things that unfortunately just a lot of people don't do. They just accept that they're overweight or they just accept that X, Y, and Z thing is the way it is. And right. And they just don't care. Yeah. There's, there's some folks out there. I don't necessarily want to say I give them a pass, but, um, you know, some of the folks out there that have genetic predispositions to things like, you know, heart disease or, um, you know, high cholesterol or, you know, or heart disease that runs in the family, um, I don't necessarily want to say I, I give them a pass on that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but 
um, you know, I'm more understanding if they have a hard time or if I'm seeing them because they have familiar, you know, uh, hyperlipidemia or so, or something like that. Or, you know, what I don't necessarily give the passes to are the people that um, I, that don't take care of themselves, you mm-hmm. know, that don't watch their morbid obesity mm-hmm. and um, or manage their diabetes or manage their diabetes. Yeah. Like there's no excuse for, for you not to be, yes. Does it suck? I'm probably sure it does. You yeah. know, is it, is it a big, big hindrance to, to your lifestyle? I'm sure it probably is, but that doesn't say that you can't take care of yourself, you know, mm-hmm. because now I have to come to your house or your, you know, um, you, you know, wherever I'm picking picking you up at to, uh, um, you know, take you to a hospital that's already busting at the mm-hmm. seams with a hundred people in the same sure, sure. the same predicament. So yeah, I um, I totally agree that there is a lack of accountability, and you know, I don't I don't know I don't have the, any of those chronic kind of problems. Yeah. So you know, when I go to the doctor once a year, I get my my cholesterol checked and. You know, my prescriptions renewed and and out the door I go. So I don't know what kind of conversations the, you know, the the family practice folks or the specialists are having with their patients, you know, and helping them guide them them along. Or are they only seeing them in the office for 15 minutes and then Mm -hmm. out the door they go and, you know, so... So I have a a question here. One thing we somehow didn't touch on this whole time. (laughs) What do you think about drug use? Like like illegal drug use, like IV drug use oh, from and marijuana and like like recreational drug use. I it's a, it's a it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I have stopped counting the amount of times that I've administered Narcan to to people. Um, an interesting fact though is uh, up until recently, the past couple of years, when the opioid epidemic crisis has been kind of in the forefront of, of the news and and them talking about Narcan isn't isn't anything new. I've been yeah. using Narcan for 20 years. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's just because of the opioid epidemic that that is out there. Um, you know, Narcan has has come to the forefront Um it's become the overdose band-aid. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, because I can overdose on this and hopefully somebody calls 911 and they're just going to come with, you know, with some Narcan, wake me up and, and you know, I'll get a turkey sandwich in the ED and they'll, you know, they'll kick me out a couple hours later. So, um, actually, it got so bad there for a while that a local health system... Um, was discharging patients immediately upon arrival at the emergency department. So we'd give them Narcan, we'd take them to the hospital. They'll be a, they'll be awake with it. They'd be discharged before we'd clear the hospital. Wow. Back out on 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 the street. So, you know, <sighs> that's not. I can understand why they're doing that because they have to decompress the system somehow. Right. But you know, that's not helping that person. That's not giving them the tools or the opportunity for, you know, rehab or, or drug treatment or, or anything like that. So, um, 
and I totally, you know, believe that it rests a lot on the drug manufacturing companies mm. that pushed Percocet and pushed Vicodin and, um, you know, uh, Oxys. A lot, a lot of this, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s where, you know, you had a couple of aches and pains and, you know, maybe twisted your back at work. All right, well, here's, you know, here's six weeks of Percocet for you. Or, right. You, you know. Um, Enjoy your addiction. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, and then now it's just rampantly coming across the southern border. And there's well, nothing we there's can... also fentanyl at, like, crazy highs. Yeah. Like, the fentanyl content of all of our drugs is just crazy. And it just kills right. people rampantly. And there's almost no way to, like, test for it when you're, like, a frontline drug user. Yeah, right. You exactly. know, you don't know if you got heroin, which is bad enough on you, I guess, to begin with. And then yeah. you mix in, you know, fentanyl, and it's just incredible potency. Yeah. Uh, I know EMS deals with a lot of uh, overdose causes. It's, like, one of the biggest ones for, I believe, men between the ages of, like, what, 18 and 40 or something like that? Yeah, I'm not sure the the statistics, but that sounds <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I could be right. On that, that sounds about that sounds about right because um, uh, that's about where we see it mm-hmm. is in that population the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and <clears throat> it was at at the height. Now I've been out of the ground EMS business for for about three years. You know, because I've I've been full time flight, and we don't see that kind of calls on as a as a flight paramedic just because. Our mission set is a little bit different mm-hmm. um, that, uh, you know, at the height of it, we were seeing three, four, five a night, which mm. is a lot. You used to go months, if not years, without having to give Narcan. And mm. then there was there was days where we were giving it. There three, was a four lot of the night COVID, too. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't I don't know. I kind of have my own theories for, for drug use. Um, on the one hand, like the raging libertarian side of me <laughs> is like, go ahead, do whatever you want. Yeah. And on the other hand, it's like, you know, like we literally need to stop this just absolute, just, uh, what do you call it? Like just boil on the healthcare system Yeah. from like wasted resources in drug overdoses right um every now and again i play with the idea of like having uh recreational drug use like centers where um people could basically go use whatever drugs they want and have the experience of the drugs that they want while having uh medical staff on hand to maintain some form of safety yeah um, I think like, um, there's certain drugs like, you know, marijuana and then some psychedelics where if you take them, you can basically have an experience and be fine. Right. Uh, and then people mix stuff together. People do all kinds of different stuff. And you, you kind of wonder like if you could actually fund the overdose pandemic or endemic or whatever by charging people to use things like psilocybin 
and mushrooms and you know, whatever kind of thing recreationally yeah. and safely. So it's like, hey, you could do this over here, but you're not going to have these safety benefits. Right. Also, we have the good shit <laughs> so that we can figure out your body type and give you the right amount so that you have a consistent experience. Yeah. I kind of think that there might be a way to make that happen, but you're going to have a ton of obviously legislation issues. Right. Every conservative from here to wherever yeah. is going to be, Oh my God, the drugs. <laughs> and then, you know, everybody over the age of 50. Right. Is, you know, going to be a little weird. No, not, not really. There's, there's, a, there's some, some folks from the seventies still hanging out. Oh yeah. There's still, open. yeah. There, but uh, all the evangelicals are going to look at it like it's, you know satan spawn yeah because they don't understand anything like psilocybin they probably never even heard of that i've never heard of it <laughs> oh it's a it's a um it psilocybin is a um i think it's a byproduct of mushrooms that creates a psychedelic experience hmm. in your mind huh. and it's actually shown to uh i believe it's shown to um mitigate the effects of ptsd oh it actually has a lot of groundbreaking medical data behind it that shows that it's not just some sort of high it actually can reconfigure neuropathways and regrow neuropathways okay. to a point where you can actually um like be better after using it hmm. and most of the information that I've studied shows that most of the benefit come from people with severe PTSD or something of that nature. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you have a little bit of funding and you're not quite sure which way the research is going. Hmm. So in, in that area, I kind of see a way that you could open up a way to test for it or not test for it to um, study, it study it in yeah. groups where you would have these centers. I think that's a way to get data. Sure. <laughs> volunteers, sign waivers, do all this stuff, and actually realize like, oh, hey, this stuff does this. Right. Um, and it's just one of those things where if you get enough open-minded people willing to have conversations about it, I think you could actually put some some good ideas out there. Sure. Um, you know, every... 18 year old college student is writing the marijuana legality paper. <laughs> yeah. And that has gone from marijuana legality to full on, you know, all legality. Right. And being the, the, the semi anarchist that I am, I kind of want there to be like a full experience of all legality. Right. Where you could use whatever you want, just use your own risk. Yeah. Um, I did some research on the uh, use of heroin. And here in this country, we have a heroin death rate of something like three in 100,000 or something like that. Yeah. But in Portugal, I believe it's Portugal, um, they use heroin all the time. It's totally legal. And they have like one death per one million. Oh, wow. It's like vastly different. Yeah. But the difference is... They have actual real heroin from poppies. Yeah. Versus whatever the hell we have over here. Yeah, it's been cut a thousand ways from so, Tuesday. Yeah. Now you can dispute the data <clears throat> and say, you know, they're not reporting their heroin deaths because it's legal and they don't care. Right. Or, you know, we're 
you know, overreporting our data. Who knows? Yeah. It's one of those things where you almost can't know. Yeah. Because you're comparing two vastly different systems. Right. But the idea is there. And I kind of think that there's this, if we can get past the knee jerk reaction of, um, drugs are bad. Okay. <laughs> it kind of goes along the same lines of guns. Right. Where we have like, Oh, are we just going to practice the same sort of logic with guns where it's like, Oh, guns are bad. Guns are yeah. bad. Guns are bad. Guns are bad. Guns are bad. Are we going to just sit here and say drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. I don't think it's fair to, you know, certain groups of people and certain arguments to actually have that inconsistency. Right. Where like we come from a point with guns where we've experienced it. We can talk about it. We have experiences to share with people. There are people who have used drugs and various things and have experiences to share right. that could be beneficial. And they can also say, oh, yeah, well, don't do this. Right. Don't take a whole edible. Yeah. And then, you know. Well, I my opinion. So the way I would put it is I don't have an opinion either way because I, I'm not... I just know what I've experienced from being a street, you know, paramedic. So, so I don't have an opinion either way. The marijuana debate, I don't use marijuana, you know, so I'm, I'm outside of, of that debate or whether it should be legal or not legal from what I've experienced is, is relatively benign compared to some of the other things that are out there. And then, but when it comes to the heroin or fentanyl, um, you know, I mean, look at Kensington Avenue and I don't know if you've seen any of those YouTube videos. Um, you know, the guy that drives around Kensington Avenue in, in, uh, Northeast Philly, uh, just the, the open air drug market that, that it is. And the, the blight of that area, you know, you see all the businesses shuttered and, and locked and, and, uh, shut down. And it's just homeless camp after homeless camp. And, you know, zombies walking around that are all, um, you know, hopped up on, on whatever, you know, drug that they're using that day. So if, if it could be successfully regulated in that way, I don't have an opinion either way on that, but the way I'm still looking at it, at it is, you know, it's still illegal. So there's a law enforcement aspect of it too, where, you know, can they do something to help improve or, you know, decrease the flow of, you know, the large amounts of opiates that are coming across. Mm -hmm. So, so, um, just to pull this up here real quick, yeah. because just to prove I'm not bullshitting the psilocybin. Oh no, I, I totally um, believe you. The clinical potential of psilocybin as a treatment for mental health conditions. When we were talking about that, I kind of wanted to bring it in, but I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about the whole drug thing separately. Sure. Um, so it says that, uh, you know, it's a classic, hallucinogen and it comes from about 100 different species of mushrooms um and there's some studies since like 92 that are being done to understand what this does yeah and when you come all the way down here uh under the conclusion 
it says um, it appears that psilocybin may have some efficacy as an alternative agent to manage mental health conditions, but obviously more data needs to be collected. Sure. So it's interesting when you dig into this and start going down the rabbit hole of what can happen, you sort of think like, well, why do we have a pharmaceutical industry? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. why do we have to use synthetic pharmaceuticals if this, you know, say best possible circumstance could be used to treat depression right. or something? Um, all comes down to money. Yeah. But, um, well, and they didn't have, you know, back in the, in, in the early days before modern medicine and pharmaceuticals, you had the herbalists that, mm -hmm. you know, would put together the, the cocktails of things for you to, to make you feel better and get right. it rid. Now, did, I don't, I'm sure if you ate enough of something, you know, you can lower your cholesterol and, and things like that. But I think you know, we stride away from that because it wasn't, um, it didn't make any money. So mm -hmm. now we're into the, you know, everybody gets a statin, you know, um, you know, mm -hmm. it's Oprah giving away statins these days. You get a statin, you get yeah, a statin, right. you all get statins. Right. And, and then, you know, but yet then here's something like this that, you know, <clears throat> has been, has been studied, uh, you know, and and could be used to treat things, and and it's a, a natural occurring substance, and set in the right setting and in a controlled environment, you know, you could help, you know, people. Yeah. And and I'm o I'm okay with that kind of with that kind of stuff. What I'm not okay with is just, you know. Not, no pharmaceutical, but uh, no no pharmaceutical um, benefit. <laughs> what? No, that's um, um, no. I'm just you know what it, you know what I said said with this is is I'm okay with this in a, in a controlled environment, but it's the it's the other stuff. It's you know let's do this, but not fix anything else over here. You know, let's not fix the Kensington Avenues of, of you know, so you of mean the, the world. The, the, the populations that are impacted by the drug use. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It, sure. If sure. that makes sense. Yes. And it makes totally total sense. And part of... So part of the... Part of my idea with this kind of stems from the Pittman-Robertson Act, where the people who use it pay for their continual use of the thing. Yeah. So... My thought was, hey, that for drugs. And you allow people to get their weed. You get allow people to get their stuff yeah, of varying natures for a cost. And then a certain amount of that then cost goes to rebuilding towns, rebuilding, you know, populations, getting people the proper treatment in a center or something that is built for that specifically, okay. which is outside of the healthcare industry. Okay. Or well, not outside the healthcare industry, but adjacent to it. Right. Where you're not taking the average overdose patient to the hospital and, you know, using uh, you know, emergency beds and all this stuff. Right. That way you would have a returning funding into the the actual problem. Mm -hmm. And then you would have a safe environment. So, in my mind, you kind of have this benefit of safer use. And funding that naturally occurs. 
I, it, okay. I'm I am in that way you you yeah. skate away the that way you get rid of the the taxpayer area right and you also mitigate the risk to the individual. Sure. Does it work? I don't know. It's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's if if it was an easy problem to solve, it would have been solved by now. Sure. But I think by blatantly ignoring it, um you know, I think California is actually trialing it. Like oh, this really? very system. Yeah. Uh, I don't know to what extent, but I do know that they're um, pretty lax on like heroin use. Yeah. And stuff like that. Um, other than that, I don't know. Now, I think there's some stuff that should be probably like a no-go, but, you know, that's a conversation for another time. Sure, yeah. What would we actually keep off of there? Um, but, yeah, I, I think that it's important to have conversations about what can we do? Right. And where, where does the problem actually lie? Yeah. So, but anyhow, you got anything else you want to talk about? We've been going for a long time. Yeah, no. Yeah, I know. We have been going for a long time. I actually, um, I don't have, I don't have anything going, going on that, uh, it hits all my buttons. (laughs) All right. Well, let's wrap it up, man. Yeah. Uh, so it was great to have you on. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. Like we'll I definitely have to do another exciting. one uh, and talk about some more ideas again because there was a lot of content there. Sure, yeah, there's tons of content. We can we can definitely hit some stuff, and uh, you know, I'll get my research game going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. All right, so, have a good one. All right, thanks. We'll see you. Neither Boots on the Ground Healthcare nor the host is responsible for the actions of listeners. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the show are for discussion and are not medical advice. Take the place of medical consult. If you have questions about your health care, consult your doctor.